Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined by Zen Buddhist priest, May Zen Miller. And I'm going to tell you this conversation is joy. And it's not joy because it's an easy conversation. It's joy because I'm lighter. I, I feel lighter after the conversation. And the reason we reached out to May Zen is because we have these feelings Sometimes, sometimes that we see the underbelly of people or society in our everyday life or advocacy or school, that sometimes the relationships and the conversations that we have plant these seeds of negativity or anger or whatever they are. And we should talk about that as a community because it's important to talk about everything. And when we share our stories, we grow and that's where we make changes. And we said, well, who would be our guest to talk about that? without it becoming just an hour of let's just all be angry and, and feel that fire. And May Zen came to mind, the Zen Buddhist priest, to offer some light, some guidance, and a lot of love. And we hope at the end of this episode, you feel a little bit lighter, just like we do. May Zen Miller. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Maybe we can start a little bit with you introducing yourself and talking a little bit about being a Zen Buddhist priest. My name is Karen Mason Miller, and I'm a Zen Buddhist priest and a mother, a wife. I'm also an author. Um, I came to this practice about 25 years ago through just an ordinary life that was full of disappointment and despair. <laughs> <laughs> and um, let me tell you what Zen Buddhism is to begin with. First, Buddhism is not a religion or a philosophy. It is a practice. Buddha taught a practice. And Zen is a Japanese word for a Chinese word for a Sanskrit word that means meditation. That's all it means meditation. So Zen Buddhism is the practice, the Buddhist practice of meditation. Now, you can see in every image of Buddha, you will see him teaching what he taught, which is a human being sitting still on the ground. And that is the kind of meditation that we do in Zen. We sit in meditation the way Buddha did so that we can see what Buddha saw, which is the truth of our lives. So beautifully simple. It is. In fact, um, I can remember a time in writing a, a, an introduction to probably my first book, and I, I was asked if I would write something about Zen. And so I went in to talk to my teacher and I said, my goodness, how do I say anything about Zen? And he said, just keep it simple. 
what brought us to you was the initial conversation that we had about these situations that we find ourselves in. We're encountering a negative situation, whether it be a dialogue or advocating for our child in the school system or whatever it may be that we're, we're processing, if you will, those negative, those, those negatives. And some of the times, and actually it's quite a few situations that we've been in where we've had a completely different situation or relationship with someone that was very adversary. And, you know, when you're talking about it being towards our son, it's actually by definition, discrimination. And then there's those feelings of you're discriminating against a child, you're discriminating against a child with a disability. And because it's not something that we go out and say, this person did this, because we try to keep our focus on our life. And our life is so full and blessed and and good that it's where we choose to put our energy is in a a different place. But then there's, you know, situations where these same people that we have this different relationship with and understanding of, I mean, people just exalt them and say what great people they are. And inside we have those feelings of that's not our experience. And it can be a challenge. And when we had this conversation as a couple, because we had the situation come up, I was like, that would be something really, I'd, I'd love to get some insight and, and guidance. Because uh, we can't be the only ones. Yeah. And just... Yeah, just some guidance as to a a different way and a different insight and a lot of the things that we had spoken on. I mean, just last week, I could shift my my focus as to how I digested certain situations. And that's, that's a gift that I would really love to be able to share with our listeners. So would you like to just talk um, knowing what what brought us to you? I'll talk about what we talked about and what your concern was. What brought us together is that it's hard in your situation to have the encounters that you have that are disappointing or negative, that seem to disregard the reality of your life and your feelings about it and your concerns, your foremost concerns, which are about your son. I believe that you ask, how do we process these negative reactions that we have to these negative encounters, the negative encounters that are insensitive or unkind or just not in keeping with what the approach we believe that enhances our son's life and his opportunity opportunity to learn and grow. And uh, I'll say at first that it's often thought that negativity should be corrected with positivity, that something unpleasant should can be corrected with something that's more pleasant. In fact, we have these views, these opposite views of pessimism and optimism. And um, one thing that I want to point out at the onset is that our practice or the practice of Buddhism or Zen Buddhism is not to be optimistic necessarily or positive, but rather to be even-minded. That is to not judge anything, but rather to be open to things as they occur. Life is full of relationships and life is full of encounters. Some of them will be um, enjoyable. Most of them will not. (laughs) Most encounters don't necessarily deliver to you what you're looking for or what you want or even what you expect. 
So I would caution and guide you to always be aware of two things, what you bring in to an encounter and what you take out. No matter what occurs in conversation between people, all you ever really have to work with is yourself. And so be aware of what you bring in, what you're offering in an encounter, and then what you leave behind or what you take with you. For instance, sometimes our conversations and our relationships with people are fraught with judgment and expectation. On our part, we have a preconception, we have a goal in mind, and if that isn't delivered to us, if that isn't met, we leave then with anger and disappointment. We have to be careful because those are powerful feelings, powerful sentiments, powerful energies, we might say, and they will affect and distort actually everything that comes forward, every future encounter that we have you know, we'll, we'll form views from that. So that's the risk that we're in. And all of us are in that risk. All of us are, are presented with situations in which we're hopeful that things will go a certain way, the way we want, and then they don't. One thing that I mentioned to you that I think really levels balances out this discussion so that we're not drawn into immediately into an adversarial relationship is the understanding of two things. One is that everyone you meet is your teacher. You will be shown something in every encounter. You will be shown something about yourself. We say that every teacher is a mirror to another. Every relationship is a mirroring relationship. And so what you see in that is something that either you're drawn to or that you reject. And the other thing to realize is that everyone is afraid. Everyone carries fear into every situation. Even those who hold positions of influence or power or leadership or expertise, everyone is afraid. Everyone is afraid of what they don't know and what they can't control. And that's essentially everything. <laughs> so our big motivation in life is fear and wanting to find something, anything that will make us feel more secure, or satisfy that fear temporarily. Now, I have a daughter who's now 21, but I have seen this time and time again. My relationship with her has shown me the degree to which I am placing a dependence, an emotional dependency on her to deliver something to me that makes me feel that everything's gonna be okay. And sometimes things are not okay, but I want that conversation with her. I want my relationship with her. I want it to deliver me to a place where I think, okay, I don't have to worry or okay, it's all gonna be okay. And that's my need, you know, it's not necessarily hers. So that fear, even though I can be, it's so subtle sometimes, I've had to, I hide from it, but then I have to realize that I am asking somebody else to alleviate my fear or my worry. 
And most people aren't really in a position to be able to do that or even want to do that. I think that sometimes, you know, the experts that we might consult are very well aware of what they don't know and what they can't do. And also very well aware of what they're being asked to do, which is that they don't feel comfortable that they can do. And so here you have a situation in which two people encounter each other and they're both driven by fear and nothing really positive, nothing constructive can come from that kind of an encounter. Somebody has to drop that, admit that they don't know and be open to really listening to one another and responding from a wide open non-judgmental place. I would hope that you would encounter that more often than not. But that's not always how things go. I feel like those two different conversations about fear, when you were talking about the fear that looking towards your child to, with the fear that everything is going to be okay, I feel as a parent, I can definitely relate to that. And then also, especially when I'm dealing with Down syndrome, I mean, from from diagnosis that's on on every social media group is, is everything going to be okay? What can I expect? And this is, you know, a lot of times comes before the child is even born because of the way that the news is delivered to the mother, that it's immediately planted that things will not be okay. And it's such a light bulb that I'm, I'm actually looking at my son to, to give me a hint that things are going to be okay. And then the other fear that you talked about was dealing with someone who's supposed to know what to do that maybe doesn't know what to do. And that fear, I definitely feel like when you're going into an IEP and you're across from these people who are supposed to be the professionals, who are supposed to be the ones that are supporting your child and giving them the service that they need as mandated by the law so that they can access the curriculum, that the real situation is, is they might not know what they're doing. And they don't want to admit that. And I can, I mean, we've thought that at certain times we've like, I don't think they know what they're doing. We've had actually an APEIS say, I'm new to this. I don't know what I'm doing. And the funny thing was, is we got frustrated. It, it was just, well, why are you in that such a vital position? And it was said so nonchalantly. But in fact, maybe we didn't see it as that gift that that it was. We look back and, and think that was the that best was person we, an honest person we had talked to. You know, Most um, people pretend they know what they're doing and then that can cause a, a lot of problems. But I can revisit that relationship and be thankful for her being so forthcoming as not knowing. And maybe I'd have more success at getting to the place where I, I actually want to be. Because I do feel like we're always fighting. And that's a term that I, I've even tried to remove from my vocabulary when I'm talking about IEPs is fighting. Like, why does it have to be a fight? That it's such a, a violent, confrontational word. And it's, and it's a heavy, hard word to carry. You know, I'm fighting for my son's rights. I'm fighting for my son's education. And it's not just a word. It actually is a feeling. And you carry that in your body, that tension you see. And it's possible to hold the position that you want to have a constructive conversation 
and that you want to cover the ground where you stand, you know, and not manifest it in that way, not really feel as if it's a fight. It is true that it takes a great deal of integrity to say the three words, I don't know. And um, in fact, that's probably the pinnacle of authenticity <laughs> in human behavior, I don't know. It's actually in our practice, it's where we wanna end up, you know. We don't become some superhuman, you know, superpowered, uh, you know, celestial kind of being. We become someone who is quite ordinary and lives in the moment, what you might say. Now, people have a lot of funny ideas about what it means to live in the moment, but in the moment, you really don't know. You don't know what's gonna happen next. You're not dwelling on anything that happened before. But at the same time, you can function perfectly. You can hear, you can see, you can think, you can move your arms and legs. You just won't have an agenda or a fixed point of view. You'll really be able to communicate with people, just like we are now. You don't know what I'm gonna say next. I don't know what you're gonna say next. Is there any fear? Is there any friction? There's none, you see? And so there might be at the heart of these adversarial relationships, a shared mission. And that's the place that you have, you really, since you're the only one that can do this, have to start at. Let's remember why we're here. Let's remember where we are going and who this is for. And then let's try to get there together. Anyone who's prepared to tell you that they don't know is someone that you can trust deeply. And we have a saying in Zen, in the beginner's mind are infinite possibilities. And in the expert's mind, there are few. That beginner's mind isn't just somebody who's starting out. A beginner's mind is anybody who is able to begin a meeting or a conversation or a, a consultation and carry nothing forward from the past. Be completely open to anything being said and taking any approach at all. The fact is, I think that in many of the situations when you are likely to be sitting down with someone who's in a position of authority, they are more than ready and able to take their lead from you. If your approach is one of um, responsibility. People sometimes who, who have big titles and you know big jobs think that they have responsibility for everything, but you as parents have utmost responsibility. You have far more responsibility than they do. So ask yourself, you know, how do I want to lead this? Am I going to lead it coming from a position of respect and coming from a position of positivity and coming from a position of collaboration? Anytime we sit down with someone who we believe is an enemy, what do you suppose results? They'll, they'll be our enemy. And, you know, frankly, I think people are inclined to 
to go ahead and make every relationship adversarial, particularly where their job's at stake. You know, this is not somebody that I can work with, they might say, because in an expert's mind, there are a few possibilities and that's a very small space, you see. I don't know if this is encouraging to you, but I hope it is empowering to you because honestly, you can't change anyone, but you can change the temperature, the direction, and the outcome of every encounter you have. If you were to treat someone as a trusted advisor and not necessarily as an untrusted advisor, and that's a big leap, I know, You'll have to try that for your son's sake. And there's another aspect of this. I often think that pessimism and insensitivity and thoughtlessness also are always dri driven by, by fear, by ego, you know, the need to say something, but I don't know what it is. And so I'm going to say something that's inappropriate. We talked about this before, just to level and calm your mind, clear your mind, You'll have to forget those times and you'll have to forgive. And forgiveness is not a big deal. You just have to be prepared to drop whatever feeling you're having about an encounter. You and I talked before about processing feelings, which is really the way in, in, in our country, well, in the West, and maybe I should just say, you know, it's pervasive. I would say that we do have a vernacular for dealing with emotions. And we think that feelings are things that we are supposed to think about and digest and uh, ruminate on and you know, come to some understanding about them. But feelings actually are, are fleeting. They're as temporary as everything else. We might amplify them and magnify them. We might feel worse, you know, drawing some conclusion about them. In Zen, we really, and it's a hard thing to do. We recognize that we carry old feelings and they don't serve us anymore and they don't serve anybody else. They're called attachments. And our, our practice is to just not pick them up anymore. Let them go. You always have the opportunity to get angry again. You always have the opportunity for more frustration. But it might open you up to having the opportunity to be surprised, to be gratified. And uh, that's really worth it. Restore your faith in people and yourself and your son. So you can go into the IEP as a blank slate. You can go in it with a different focus as to how you're identifying the people who are sitting across from you who maybe are people who have sat across from you before, who maybe are people who have denied your son's placement or supports, and you can make the choice to go in and maybe try something new of starting from that moment. Being a beginner of, again. Yeah, beginning again. Maybe seeing them as just like you're going in there with a new, that they could be completely changed. Right, We're not giving them the opportunity to be a different person if every time we come in, we remind them of who they were to us, right? 
and and if and if they prove that that's who they still are, we can get angry again if we want. That's very wise. That's very wise. You see, and in truth, are you the same person you were yesterday? No. No one is. Uh, change is happening all the time. But if you have stuck them, if you've placed them in this fixed, you know, kind of frame and you will only see them in that way, well, then you're the one who's limiting the possibilities, you see. I suppose really, you know, and I always defer to your own experience on, in this, but if you were to, if this is a team, how do you approach your teammates, you know? And I, I believe, you know, and you can try this out. If you approach them as a teammate, see how they approach you. And I don't have the words to give you, but use yourself as your own guide here. How do you feel going into that? Do you feel as if you're getting ready to go 10 rounds with them? You know, I know that your experience is not unique because I talk to other parents. And I know it's not unique because I know my own experience of having uh, goals and aspirations, dreams and hopes and expectations for what my daughter was going to get out of any particular you know, year or a particular teacher and finding time and time again, not that the teacher would disappoint me, but that my expectations were misplaced. I often recount this story about learning this about myself. And this was really early on in my daughter's life when she was in preschool. And um, the ambition, you know, and the concern about development and begins for all of us immediately with our children. And my daughter was three. She was going into what we called the four-year-old yard at the preschool that she was. And at this point, I have to be honest, we were all looking for signs of early genius in our children. And in particular, when we all went into the open house in the four-year-old classroom where our kids were going to be in the fall, we saw pictures on the wall that the four-year-olds in the current term had drawn. And they, had, they, were, they actually were bodies with legs and arms, and you know, they were human figures, and several actually written their names on their drawings, which was you know, just like uh, light bulbs went off. In, in the room and everybody there wanted to know if their children in this particular class were going to learn how to write their names. So finally, one parent raised her hand to ask the teacher, let me ask you, we see drawings around the room of figurative, you know, drawings and children writing their names. Tell me, is learning how to write your name, is that part of the four-year-old curriculum? And the preschool teacher said something at that point that obviously struck to my heart and has stayed with me because I recognized it as what my true aim was as a parent for my child. It really wasn't that I needed for her to get ahead or progress faster. So the teacher looked at us with compassion and she said, some of your children, some of the children are ready to write their names and we support them when they're ready to write their names. And some of the children are not ready 
to write their names and we support them when they're not ready to write their names. We support your children wherever they are. And I felt like I was being thrown back in my chair because I recognized that that is the most loving, valuable, encouraging approach to education and life that I ever wanted for my daughter, that I probably couldn't give her with the same open-heartedness that her preschool teacher could because I was so vested in seeing a particular outcome that once again would make me feel secure about who she was. I think that's such a good point because, you know, when we're, when we're talking about supporting Liam where he is, one of the struggles or goals that we're always, we're always having the conversations we're usually having with teachers is let's support him where he is, not where the expectation or maybe perhaps where, where their perception of what Down syndrome is, where they think he should be or what they think his ability is, but to actually be supporting him where he is. And I think what happens, I know what happens with me is because I'm so focused on what my son's ability is. And I think I'm focused on it because I'm always told what he can't do, which is different than what I was experienced with my daughter. I'm always told what Liam can't do. Not always, but a lot of the time, especially when I'm dealing with school, I'm told what he can't do. So that makes me focused on showing what he can do. And I think that when you're saying this, there's a balance on both sides for me to be supporting what I know he can do and where he is, but also where he is like to, to actually, I think that would be a different feeling in him to obviously I know I have a, like he has a potential that's different than maybe what the world sees, but supporting him as him. Yes. And I think that because I'm so focused on that conversation on the other side where I'm telling the school, you need to support him where he is because they're always looking at, I mean, if they had their way, he would have never learned to read. He would never learn to write. And, but for me to take responsibility of that, that's me at the same time that I'm lifting those boundaries that are put on by society and perception to actually, and it's not a bad thing. As you're saying it, I think I've always thought of it as this if I do that, I'm going to limit him, but it's not, it's giving, it's, it's sending that message of, yeah, this is, we're going to work towards this, but let me support who you are. Yes. Support who you are. You know, the one feeling that I've, my daughter's now 21 and, you know, there'll be a point where you have this kind of clarity and you'll realize that uh, our children are exactly themselves and they are that at every age and stage that there is this person, there is this fully evolved human being who keeps showing you that. And, you know, oddly, what's lacking sometimes in every aspect of our lives is trust. But do you trust Liam's life? That it will unfold in a way that nourishes him and nurtures him and guides him and protects him and 
I mean, this is what I have found over and over again. Oddly enough, I feel as though I'm the last one to know. I'm the last one to <laughs> see this. Yeah. You know, I, I could tell stories about my daughter all the time, and I hope that you can hear from them not how special she is or, you know, how, how remarkable a parent I am, but that the learning doesn't stop. Your children really teach, are teaching you all the time. Your children are teaching you to see them clearly, to trust them totally. You know, they're, they're showing you where you're hanging on or where you're, you know, lagging behind. You know, my, my daughter uh, had a, well, she actually growing up, she loved aspects of science. And um, this gave me a lot of encouragement because my own bias was that, oh, that would just be wonderful if she would become a girl scientist and, you know, and all of this stuff. I had all of these images in my head. And so she did science fairs and, you know, she loved doing science fairs and she was, she loved the aquarium. And so in high school, she um, took, you know, advanced biology and then um, there came a time when she had to choose what she wanted to you know, study in college. And I like to think that that might still be an option for her. She just had to get through calculus. And so finally, one day she said to me, she laughed and she said, mom, don't you know, I'm never gonna be a scientist. She knew all along, they know all along. They know themselves, you know. The real risk that we have is that they're not content or happy with themselves, that they somehow feel that they're disappointing you. I have to remind myself of that still every sleepless night, every time worry creeps in, which is, you know, every day, because that doesn't end, that she has a life and it's her own life and she will rise and grow and fly into it. That's what we have to believe. And of course, you'll always love them and you'll always be there for them and they can always rely on you. But there's not much more than that to it. <laughs> I think that's a really good question to ask, do I trust Liam's life? And I think that's something that I have to answer honestly and I think it probably changes, but is it something that we can, just like we can clear our minds, maybe going into an IEP or into a grocery store, is it something that we can choose to do? We have to, we have to. We might think that we are the masters of fate, you know, that we are driving the bus, but we're not, you see. And as time goes on, I think that you will yourself see in him that opportunity to let go. You won't want to. I mean, after all, you think you're very important. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's really part of this, no matter what the circumstance. That's part of our job. You know, gosh, my daughter finally told me one time, you know, mom, whenever I have a problem, 
you immediately go, you know, and you Google it, you know, you get all OCD on it. You come up with all of these things that you want to tell me and you come back into my room and you tell me what I need to do. And I think, well, what a good mother I am, right? And she said, every time you do that, it shows me that you don't trust me. And that's the last thing I wanted to convey. But nonetheless, there was truth in that. I didn't think she could do it without me. I thought I would give her an advantage by uh, being her researcher or her, uh, you know, giving her some a little insight, you know, from my point of view. So I don't know how it will unfold, but Liam's life will unfold as nothing other than Liam's life. And you will be in it, but you're not in charge. It's really hard. When does that change? You were talking about how they know themselves. So we were once a they, right? So when, when does that change? There comes a time when your children will tell you exactly what they think and exactly what they know. It will disarm you. <laughs> and I mean, every child does this. Every child does this. You know, the truth is we, we really don't know. We can't replicate. I mean, it's a marvel. Human life is a marvel. How does it work? We don't know and we can't know. But there's a, an intelligence at work here that we can't comprehend. And that's what you call faith, really. We have to have faith in what we do not know <laughs> and what we cannot understand. My life and my practice really keeps bringing me to a place I've never been before. <laughs> and no idea how it will go. But I bring my complete attention, complete attention to what's right in front of me in the moment that it appears, leaving behind that impulse, you know, to judge or uh, criticize. And in that open space where I'm completely attentive and mindful to reality as it is, that attention that you give is love. And that's the substance within which everything thrives. When you said earlier about when we speak about seeing people differently, that's, that's, our, that's our goal. We want people to stop seeing Liam as their prejudices and their perceptions that they've got stuck in their mind. But if we can also see people differently, isn't that if we can do what we want them to do, if we can go into the moment and allow them to be different than what our perception is. Absolutely. That's, you've heard the, the, the saying, um, be the change you want to see. The truth is, only you can do it. Only you can do that. Is it scary? Well, yeah, it's going to be scary. But as you experience a difference, as you realize different outcomes, you'll see love really makes a difference. And it's not a feeling. It's a spaciousness. It's acceptance, you see. And uh, in that, there's no tension. You're not adding any pressure. You're not pounding and pushing. You don't have to give up. You don't surrender anything. 
It's just that uh, people respond to that. They don't respond to aggression. So try it. I think sometimes parents, when we are advocating, that's the ground that's a challenge because I think as as parents and nurturers and also wanting to be kind, there's that, I, I don't want to cause a ruckus. I don't want to be the bad guy. And I think that what you're saying is there's a way that you're, you don't have to relinquish the advocation for your child. You still support them in getting their supports and, and having that, but you don't have to do it with that pounding. You know, the truth is, is that a lot of our IEP episodes are put everything in writing, get a timestamp, make sure you know, you know, the laws and the rules, but that can be done with a, with a peaceful heart and a loving heart. You don't, you don't have to resign that part or do you? You know, they're not really parts. (laughs) I'll tell you that an advocate is somebody who shows up, somebody who's present because that's most of the power that you have. And that's tremendous power, actually showing up in that encounter. And your presence is the advocacy. And now then, you have a conversation. You try to find shared goals and a shared mission. Always restate what's possible. I, I just think more than likely what happens, because this is what I experience, I go into a situation with an agenda. And you know what? (laughs) Children always know when we're carrying an agenda into the room. And as adults, we think we've masked it. But if you have that kind of a, in your mind, you know, you've prepared yourself, you know, with your battle face, you know, strategy. um, I think you've tried that. And it it might be very effective, but it leaves you with a feeling of a disconnection, a feeling of that this is warfare. And you have to trust that, you know, trust that. You know Liam better than anybody. So of course you share that and you bring that light to it. But just for a moment, imagine that they really do want to do what's best. Somebody really does want Liam to be, to thrive, be happy, and to reach far beyond his potential. Imagine that, you know, that's really the best that I can offer. And I I say that just because I know what it feels like in my body and my mind when that frustration rises and the anger rises and the disappointment rises, I become cynical, you see. And I begin to believe that the world is a cruel place and that there's no help to be found and that I'm alone in this. It's, it's a very barren place. And it's one in which, frankly, how does life keep going on? It doesn't in a place like that where there's no nurturing and there's 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 no harmony and there's no peace i don't want you to lose faith in yourself you have an incalculable number of ways that you can change and turn and try you're resourceful and you have you hold in your heart complete love for your son 
share that. I often found that even if I didn't really, oh, oftentimes the beginning of the year, I would have my doubts. Oh, my daughter didn't get in the right classroom and she doesn't have the right teacher and she's not learning the right things. And I'll tell you by the end of the year, I had frankly had come to a place where I loved the teacher too. And what I loved most is that we had in common my child. You know, how can you not love the people who are sharing your son's life? I know, I know it's hard, but, but keep that in mind. Yeah, you know, I think that I can answer that question. And I think that where the challenge comes from is you go into the IEP, you have these conversations that in the past, they have been adversarial. I'm looking forward to seeing what we can create in our next IEP this year, but they're pretty adversarial. And things can be said that hit your core that and that man, I have I'll admit, let them plant seeds and just grow. And then you go into the class and it's hard to undo that. It's a huge challenge. And I think that with some of these tools of just, all right, we've had that conversation. Maybe if I would have had that conversation with love, maybe if I would have had that conversation with hope, it would have been a different conversation. And that, and I think that's really what motiv- one of the things that motivated us to want to talk to you is because, and selfishly, as in all of our guests, it's for us too, so we can learn, so we can grow, because that's the that's the the want is to grow and to not be changed in a negative way, to not be changed in a way that destroys us on the inside on this journey, but to be changed in these beautiful other ways that are gifts. And I think I can take that into even just next week, <laughs> just because we know our son and we know it's it's a, a gift to know our son. So, and they do get to feel that. And maybe if we allow them to feel that, if we allow them that that's where the change is going to take place. That's where we can nurture that change, not at a table with 10 people or at a Zoom with 10 people telling them how they failed our son. <laughs> and, you know, that's a great light bulb moment for me is to allow that because that's a, allowing the love. Right. And, you know, and the other thing is just in the same way that someone started a meeting once and said, I'm new at this, I don't know what I'm doing. I think it would be, wonderful if you could start a meeting and say, can we start on a different foot? I realize it's been adversarial in the past, but I really respect you and all you're doing. That's that's called starting over. And we get to do that every day, right? We get to start over every, every day. Every moment. Every moment. Right? <laughs> every moment. One change we had a couple of IEPs ago is we had the principal that we really like uh, come and, and help with the, and actually run the IEP. And He's a very knowledgeable guy, and he would have a lot of answers. But when he didn't have the answer, he would say, you know, he would say, I don't know. And he'd write down the question. He goes, guys, we're going to try to, I'm confident we can get this answer to you soon. And what what a comfort that was. And it wasn't him showing a weakness. It was him showing a strength. And the thing was, is it did shift the entire room, just his presence. And, you know, to my demise, it is from holding on to the past, just like I've We've talked before about we let negative encounters maybe at the park stop us from going to the park or at the grocery store, and then I don't go to the grocery store. When he did this and brought this light, there I was still just 
you, you don't get to deny what you did. I really held on like a bulldog to make sure that they understood. I know this is your boss here, but I'm going to make sure that you remember that you tried to take my son off curriculum without following the, pro you know, that was, that was me. That was that, that how I had gotten hard. Well, you know, to parallel that, I feel like, you know, as a parent, you, you compare, you know, like when you, you were talking about walking into that four-year-old class and looking at the pictures and with names on it, man, I can tell you when, when a bunch of parents come into a classroom and, and look at pictures and they're looking at names, they're going, wow, Jeff has really got something going on there. Or Sarah is, what look at the colors she's using. And so you compare. And as a parent of a child with disability, I think you, you compare as well. I mean, not only with other children with disability, but everybody. And so when you are then in the school system talking to professionals and they're telling you what your child can't do, man, there's so much of me in particular. And I had to drop this egotistical uh, part of me is when you go into the meeting of saying almost like a, look, I'm going to prove he's going to prove that you're wrong, that you're not seeing him the way I see him. And a lot of times they're not seeing your child the way you see him. And, and yes, your child's going to do things that they didn't really count on him doing, but that pressure of, I'm going to show you, you know, there's a lot of, I'm going to show you. Yeah. yeah. And man, that's adversarial right there. Yeah, well, when you're talking about just, you know, when everybody's work is out, there's, there's a part of us that we just, I think any open house, or we just brace ourselves. You know, you're looking at all these Rembrandt's and details. And then there's Picasso Liam's or Picasso, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, we're his biggest cheerleaders. <laughs> so like, like I said, just from our conversation last week, let me let go of that. Let me let go of it. Let me, let me do what I do in most aspects of my life. Let me do what I say that I do or think that I do or actually want to do. And because I think that you feel that you're weak if you go in with a peaceful heart. I think that because we have had situations when, you know, someone has kind of taken advantage of, of that. And, um, well, you can definitely feel vulnerable. Yeah. What do you have to say about vulnerability and those feelings of vulnerability? Well, that's pretty honest. Yeah. Uh, we are vulnerable. Everybody is, you know, particularly now in this time, we see it maybe more clearly than we ever did. Nothing that we think is forever is forever. All those things we think are going to stay intact. What we thought was normal is not normal. That's the place you live. Live in that place. Live in the place of vulnerability. Have no shield, no pretense. You know how I told you that uh, everybody's a teacher. Well, some teachers are good teachers and they show you, they teach you what to do. And some teachers are bad teachers and you still learn from them. You learn what not to do. So you were talking about the principal, a true leader, somebody who can be vulnerable and not pretend that he has all the answers. And while someone in another position might feel like the hard part about IEPs is that they're supposed to have answers and they're supposed to agree to things and they're supposed to pretend that they can actually do this when in the classroom, it's really very hard for them to deliver on an IEP. But the principal says, that's a good question. That's a good point. Let's find out about that. See, that's, that's a teacher that you want to learn from. Uh, there's always going to be something that you're being shown. And I also want you to know that everybody who walks into an open house bristles because they're going to find somebody, you know, who's mastered the multiplication tables, you know, or somebody who's read more books 
And that's where we can see ourselves so clearly how, how we insert ourselves in our judgments, you know, and our own fears into our children's lives. And I'm going to tell you this, you're doing a beautiful job. You're doing a wonderful job. You're doing the very best job. You are the very best parents that Liam could have. And why do I say that? Because you're his parents, you see. You are his parents. How did that happen? It happened because it's the best outcome. Because you're the best. He's the best son you could have. How can you compare what is to all the things that aren't. In Buddhism and Zen, we say, things as they are, are perfect. And that doesn't mean better than anything. It means complete. There is nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. Believe that in your heart and you'll trust yourself and you'll trust your son, and you'll trust his life. And yes, you'll stumble, and you'll fail, and you'll come up short, and you'll cry, and you'll worry, but there will never be anything lacking in your life or his. You know what powers you is not your anger or your insistence. What powers you is love, and that's the greatest power in the universe. So choose that. You can still raise your voice. You can still be confident in your point of view, but try to see through others' eyes that are not as confident as you, that don't know Liam as well as you do. Don't see what you see. Just put yourself in the shoes. Be truly vulnerable. Put yourself in other shoes. You know, one thing that you had said the other day that that was really important for me to hear was you had mentioned about your daughter and a placement and that you went to your teacher and then he had said, why would you want her there? Did you recall the conversation about? Sure. It was, I think it was about the teacher who didn't support your belief of your, your child. Yeah. Yeah, this was when she uh, was in sixth grade. Up to this point, you know, she had uh, loved math and done well in math. Actually, she'd been on the math Olympic team. I think that has more to do with enthusiasm than aptitude. But nonetheless, she arrived in a new classroom as a sixth grader learning sixth grade math. And we had a parent conference. We went in and the teacher told us that our daughter was a slow learner and that she was perhaps in the wrong class. And um, we were very disappointed and disturbed and we left and I went to my own teacher, my Zen teacher, and I talked to him about this. And I really wanted him to affirm for me that something was wrong with the teacher. And he said, first, get her out of that class. And he said, and the other thing is more to the point for me, don't add any pressure to that little one, meaning my daughter, don't push her, you know, don't prod her to become something that you'd like. That was the message in that. Not just don't leave her in a class where the teacher doesn't uh, see her 
or care for her or want her. That's the first thing. And the other thing he wisely saw was that perhaps I was putting too much uh, pressure on Georgia to do better, please me. So yeah, we have these choices all the time. We can tell when they're in classrooms and with teachers who don't care for them really, don't see them or want them in class. But can we see all of the times that we're holding on to an image of who we want our child to be? That's what was clarifying for me. Thank you, Mason. Oh, you're so welcome. It was really effortless. I'm so glad to know you. And I want you to stay in touch with me. Yes, I would like that. Yes. Thank you so much for this conversation. It's been just really a beautiful, beautiful gift to be able to spend this afternoon with you. Oh, it was my pleasure. I loved meeting you. And I, I hope we talk again. So do we. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Oh,